This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Morning, church. This season, through these next few weeks, couple of months, we are doing a theme called Living and Leading. And I guess, possibly like me, you may think that some certain people in authority in our country right now are not giving us necessarily the best example of leading. Uh, I'm not going to suggest any kind of bias, but, you know, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. And uh, so I want to encourage us to live well and to lead well. To live well as examples of someone who loves Jesus. To lead well, to be an example to others and to help others. And that's what it's all about. So last week I talked about being a blessing and I talked about, uh, I blessed you. No one sneezed, but I blessed you. Okay. And uh, I hope you've, I know from what some of you said, some of you have taken that away and kind of, kind of run with that. And so I'm, I'm asking who, have you been a blessing this week? Have you blessed somebody? Have you kind of gone out of your way to make sure that you let people know how favored they are for God, how much God loves them, and so on? I'm hoping you do that. I said, may God give you grace, mercy, and peace. So I spoke those words over you, and I'm encouraging you to live in that and demonstrate that. Um, To bless those we're investing in, you know, to unselfishly spend our time for people to help people, to be an encouragement to people. You know, I think sometimes we don't fully understand what encouraging is. You know, sometimes, most of the time, it's well done, keep going, you're doing a great job. That's kind of encouraging. But you know, encouraging someone, if you're really committed to that person, and if you really have a relationship with that person, can be actually saying to them, hey, hang on a minute, are you going in the right direction? Sometimes we need to do that and we need to sort of in love and we've got to be careful. It's a fine line that we don't start telling people what to do. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is to be an encouragement to help people keep on the right track. If you saw someone who was about to step in front of a bus or fall off a cliff or whatever, you know, you would say to them, stop. You wouldn't think, oh, you know, I might upset them, I might offend them. I won't say anything. They would rather be offended than dead. And when it comes to living and walking with God and serving God, I think there are times when we can say to each other, hang on a minute, this course of action is perhaps not the best. Turn around and start living well for God. So in taking leadership in other people's lives, which we do by invitation, we don't enforce that or impose that. I'm, I'm, I'm really important that you, that you don't hear what I'm not saying. But when it comes to blessing people, there are times when we can help them to keep doing the right thing. What it comes down to was that little phrase to help people live a life of faith in God. And that's what it's about. We can help each other live a life of faith in God, live well and lead well. So the question is, what have we done this week with what God has done for us? If God's blessed us, if we've received mercy, if we've been helped, if we've been encouraged by what God has done for us, if we're reminding ourselves of all of that, what have we then done with what God's given 
to us. So I want to read to you, uh, continue to read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, because we're going to go through this uh, book over the next uh, few weeks, as I've said. And I want to pick it up from verse 12. And so he's the writer to Timothy, who, as I said last week, is a young guy, a young pastor, leading a community of faith, like this one, just in a warmer place, leading a community of faith and bringing blessing and instruction and guidance to this community of faith. So as the writer is writing to Timothy to bring him to encourage him to keep going, to encourage him to straighten a few things out that need straightening out. This is what he says from verse uh, 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy, beautiful, because I acted in ignorance and in an unbelief. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. We're going to read verse 17, and I'd like us to read this together as a declaration. If you love God, will you read this with me? If you never say anything in church, just make an exception this morning, and read this with me, this final verse. Here it goes. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So what we just did there was making a declaration of that Jesus is our King, that He is our Lord. We're making a statement to ourselves and we are blessing and honoring God. It's the least that we can do. It's the least we can do. So consistently, this needs to be a pattern of what we do. We thank God. We're grateful to God for what He's done for us. We bless Him. We acknowledge who He is. And we're speaking this out to anybody who wants to hear that we're giving Him the honor that He deserves. So if we just look again into that script, that whole scripture and just kind of unpick it for a moment to give us a little bit of a, 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 a kind of a... a What's the word? An outline, let's call it that. It'll do for now, of what we're looking at this morning. So it starts with Paul's gratitude for God's mercy. He says, I was shown mercy. Here's the thing, we can say the same. If we're followers of Jesus, we have been shown mercy. So God hasn't treated us how we deserve. We don't get what what was coming to us, no. He has shown mercy to us. Whoever we are, however good, bad, or indifferent we might have been in the past, the mercy of God is for us. And I love that. And I thank Christ Jesus, he says, our Lord. And then he talks about the grace, God's grace to Paul. Now, I'm a grace preacher, and I'll talk about grace as long as I've got breath and opportunity. So you always know you're going to hear a lot of grace in this house. This is a grace-filled house, and I've said that before, and believe me, I will say it again. 
So here we go, the Lord's grace to Paul. He says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Paul's saying, the grace is coming at me so much, I nearly drowned in it. And that's what came to you and to me. As we received God's forgiveness, God's mercy, His grace has come at us in a flood. We've received God's mercy in abundance. I like, I like the word abundance. Abundance is a great word. Abundance is more than enough. Abundance is more than I could even imagine. That's what God's grace looks like in your life and in my life. God's grace abundantly received. He goes on to say, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And he also said he was honored. He said, God considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. So Paul sees that as an honor. When we do anything for God, it's an honor. When we serve God in this house, it's an honor. When you serve God in your place of work, in your street, in your family, in your place of education, whatever that looks like, it's an honor to serve God. God's, serving God is not just confined to these four walls. We definitely don't think that. If you do a great job as, as, uh, in your in your Uh, employment, you're serving God. If we help someone, we're serving God. So there's loads of different ways we do that, but actually we say it's an honor to serve. It's not, it's not onerous. It's not, oh, go on, I'll do you a favor. No, it's not about that. It's an honor to serve. So Paul said, I'm honored. I don't deserve this. I mean, I was public enemy number one to the Christians. I didn't deserve this, but now I've got the honor of serving God. And he says, Also at the end, the purpose of this, the reason that Jesus came into my life and saved me and forgave me and gave me a new start was that he would display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul's saying that what's happened to me will be an example to other people, and 2,000 years later it still is, an example to other people that no matter how far we are away from God, His mercy is still enough. His grace is still enough. So when people look at Paul's life, and we're going to take a look at that in just a moment in his conversion, he's saying, look at what God's done for me, imagine what God can do for you. So how far away you might be or how close you might feel you are, whatever that looks like in your context, God, God says it's enough. His grace is enough and Paul recognizes that. So I want you to kind of grasp some of that and, and, and kind of maybe spend some time this week meditating on these verses, looking at what God's actually done for you. And so be inspired to live well. Be inspired to lead well in your home, in your place of employment, down your, whatever. And what you're doing, lead well. Be a great example. Are we grateful for the mercy we have received? Well, I think we, we should. You may have been a Christian many, many years like me, and I, but I'm still very grateful for God's mercy. Thank God for His mercy over my life. And it's not something that was just an occasion, you know, when I became a Christian. It's continuous. God's merciful to me. You know, what a great prayer that was that that guy prayed. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Great prayer. 
great prayer. And he is. So we've received God's mercy. We've received his grace abundantly poured into our lives. I thought my testimony is that God has been gracious to me for many, many years. That's my story and the story of many of you here is not, you know, even when you messed up, even when we've kind of not gone the way God wanted us to go, whatever that looks like, God's grace has been incredible over our lives. We're honored to serve the King of Kings. We have a purpose. The fact that Jesus saved me can be an example to other people. How good is that? The fact that Jesus saved you can be an example to other people. So I want us to be inspired and blessed by that. And I want us to keep an attitude of gratitude. You know, when things don't go right for yourself and and, and life kind of goes a bit pear-shaped, to use a technical term, when these kind of things happen, you think, "Ah, no, be grateful for what God still has done. Not for the experience, but to be grateful for that God's still active in your life. I, I, I'm grateful. I'm, I've got an attitude of gratitude. God saved me. God's given me a hope and a future. He's forgiven my past. He's given me a great future on earth and in, through eternity. I've got a great future, so I'm grateful. I've got an attitude of gratitude. And specifically for Paul, his conversion was an amazing conversion. It was an incredible change. It was an incredible turnaround. He was, you know, salvation, conversion, saved, all these words. It means literally we turn around from living our way and start to live God's way. And But Paul's was extraordinary and incredible. He calls himself a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. So he says, God saved me from these things, but he saved me to something. And he saved him to a life of service. And he's the thing. God doesn't save you, save you and that's it. He's saving you to something. He's saving you to live a great life for him. He's saving, saving you to live a life of opportunity for him. He's saving you to just serve him with every, with every breath and all your strength and live the best life possible because living for Jesus is the best that we could ever have in this life. Well, if you miss that, we miss the point. So living for God is an awesome, incredible thing. So he was Paul who was utterly committed opponent of Christianity. He was a career career persecutor. He was passionate about getting these Christians, throwing them in jail, getting them killed, just, just eradicating this whole nonsense he perceived to be called Christianity. That's what he did. We read through the book of Acts, Acts 8. Verse 3, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Acts chapter 9 verse 1, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He was a guy that didn't, well, Christians didn't just irritate him. He was passionate about destroying Christianity. He was convinced 100% that Christianity wasn't true. It wasn't It it, it was a blasphemous, it was a wrong thing. He was absolutely committed to that. He even, he took his persecution right across the area. He got letters of introduction so he could go to places to persecute Christians. He wasn't satisfied with just Jerusalem. He traveled 150 miles, 240k, to Damascus. He went went there uh, because he was determined to persecute Christians. But it was on that road to Damascus that he had a dramatic encounter with God. 
Now, it's incredible, public enemy number one of Christians, the guy who wasn't interested in Christianity, the guy who'd spent his life to try to eradicate Christianity. He's incredible. He's man on a mission going to Damascus. And on the way to Damascus, he receives this incredible, unexpected, totally out of the blue encounter with a person he was, he was persecuting. A blinding flash blinded him. He fell off his horse and he heard a voice that spoke to him. God spoke to him. He arrested him on his way and spoke into his life. And later, this is what Paul says about his transformation, what he was, what he was doing, and what he was now doing. In Philippians chapter 3, that will be on the screen. Paul says, this is his own words, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So what I was, what I was passionate about, what I gave my life to, I consider that now rubbish compared to what I now have in Christ. That's the reality of what, we, what we're living. You know, we're not just Christians. It's, it's kind of a good thing to be and a nice thing to be. No, compared to where we were, this is fantastic. You know, we were lost without hope, but now we have Jesus. Life is amazing. It's full of challenges, disappointments, because that's life, but we're strength that we receive from God. We're able to know that we have all of that from Him. So from that moment, He was he had a turnaround with that encounter. Now, here's the thing about that. Most, the most unlikely people can become Christians. Isn't that good? You might think you're one of them. You might think you're unlikely. I mean, sometimes over the years, we see people come to faith, and it's just wonderful. And God chooses all sorts of different kinds of people. And I love that. I mean, just look around. There's nobody here that's been cloned. We all look very different. All sorts of, careful what you say now, Jeff. But all sorts of different appearances. Nearly said shapes and sizes, but I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't say that. All sorts of backgrounds. All sorts of different people. Different, different perhaps aspirations. Different kind of experiences in life. Some, some with a rich uh, history of life. And, and all sorts of, uh, of, of things. Some, some kind of early on in their life. Some, some, some with uh, problems, big hassles, big difficulties, and others who kind of seem to have just had quite a, quite a consistently okay kind of a life. All sorts of different people, but that is wonderful. All sorts of different backgrounds, and I love that about our church, that we're not just one type of person. We're all sorts of people who God has brought into community with him. Paul was not a seeker. He had no Christian heritage. He called himself the chief of sinners. I don't know if anyone else would call himself that, but he called himself that. But on the road to Damascus, he had a sudden and unexpected encounter with the risen Savior. In Acts chapter 9, 
We'll just read that to, to tell you what happened. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, that was his name before it was changed. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. What an incredible turnaround. Was there anybody praying for Paul? Were the Christians saying, God, will you bring him to faith? God, God, you know, were they inviting him to their services? No. Were they inviting him on a Sunday at 11 o'clock? Were they, were they saying, come along to a life group? Uh, come, and watch, come and watch the football. Oh, I shouldn't have mentioned that. Uh, at, at church. They weren't doing any of that. They just weren't doing any of that because he's public enemy. He was unlikely Christian. And so I'm inspired to think, and I was, as I was meditating on this this week and, and praying about this this week, I'm beginning to think, God, other people that I've kind of given up on praying for. Other people that I, I kind of not got around to pray for because they just seem far, far away from you. Well, if it can happen for Paul, it can happen for anybody. If it can happen for me or for you, it can happen for anybody. So I'm inspired and encouraged to think that many people can come to faith, even though right now they might have no interest in, interest in Christianity. They wouldn't be seen dead in church. Most people end up being said in, seen dead in church. But they, would, they wouldn't even do that. Absolutely not. But here we are, by grace, brought into relationship with God. Paul was not interested in Christianity. I'm encouraged to keep on praying for members of my family who are not following Jesus. For people who are my friends who are not yet Christians. For people out there who just seem to have an incredible need for God, and we all have a need for God. I'm inspired again. And it's kind of, you know, some of those dusty old prayers that have kind of been stuck on a shelf and you've almost kind of given up. But, you know, it's time to get them down and blow the dust off them and say, right, come on, let's go again. Let's pray again. Let's believe again for my, for my brother. Let's believe again for my husband. Let's, let's believe again for my friend. Let's believe again for my son. What a, let's believe again together and say, yes, come on, we're going to go for it because God can save a man like Paul, anybody. Absolutely anybody can come to faith. Paul's salvation was 100% a work of grace. He was not a candidate. He didn't appear to be a candidate for salvation. And he met with Jesus. He said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Paul went to Damascus and he waited there and a man called Ananias who really didn't want to go and pray for this guy. Have you ever been in that situation? You know, God, God kind of puts somebody on my heart and you think, I don't even like that person. <laughs> I mean, what's this about? Always pray for them. That's the, that's the answer. Just pray for them. Leave it with God and, and, and God will sort the other stuff out, right? So he, in the end, he went and prayed for him because God said to him, look, I've chosen this guy. He's going to be an incredible guy in my kingdom. And he went and he prayed for him. And, of course, we know that Paul in the New Testament became an incredible figure, planted churches, brought many people to faith, even though he had been public enemy number one. And he was anointed to serve. And here's the thing, you know, our conversion is also our commission. Our salvation 
is also our invitation and our instruction, instruction to serve. We don't just get to sit easy and think, okay, it's okay for me, sorted. No, because we have received so much, we have a responsible to give so much. Because we've received mercy, we have a responsibility to be merciful. Even when people don't deserve our mercy, it appears. Well, because we've received mercy, we are merciful. Because God's grace has been in my life and in your life, we are expected to be people of grace and to be gracious with people. Because we have received so much, we're supposed to begin to give away of some of the goodness that we receive from God, to love people unconditionally unconditionally, to not give up on people, to serve people even though they don't appreciate it, to help people even though they look like they don't want our help. Well, we're still going to keep trying and uh, we will still try and keep our patience with people. Is it just me? But sometimes it's hard to be patient with people. Just No, it's not just me, is it? It's difficult. But thank God, God's patience, Paul refers to God's patience with him as being immense patience. Thank God he's patient with me because I don't know if I would be as patient with me as God is. Because sometimes thinking, Jeff, I've told you, I've shown you what you're doing. Ever had those kind of conversations with yourself and thinking, why am I doing this? God, you've told me what I need to do. And God helps us and blesses us. I, it's incredible. Only grace. Never lose sight of only grace. That's what God has done for us. And God's mercy is available for everyone. I'm thanking God that his mercy is available for me all the time. You're not, it's not just a one-off thing. You know, when I became a Christian, say, God, I want to give you my life. It wasn't just then. It was at the cross, but it continues then, and it continues, continues, continues that God's mercy and grace is always all over my life. When I mess up, I'm able to go back to him, and he forgives me and gives me. And I'm optimistic about grace. Grace is so powerful. God's love is so powerful, it can reach each and every one of us. It can reach anybody of us. So Timothy who was written to right here, leading this church, was given the job of creating this culture of grace and mercy in the community. Last week we talked about the fact, the fact that he was told to address the people who were teaching wrong things and, and false teaching in the church and to deal with that. And, and, and he's been taught and been encouraged by the writers to say, come on, we've got to create a culture here of grace and mercy. And so as I am seeking to be graceful, uh, full of grace, I'm not very graceful, but you know what I mean, graceful and full of merciful, which has got to be our culture at Life Church. It's got to be how we deal with people. And we give everybody a chance. And then we give them another chance. And when they're through with that chance, we'll give them another chance. Because that's just God. That's just the church. That's just Christianity. That's just grace. That's just mercy. We don't say you've got that black mark. It's all over for you. Because thank God he never looks at me like that or you like that. A chance, a chance, and chance. God's forgiveness is there. So that's the kind of community Timothy was to, was to build in Ephesus. It's a kind of community 
that we have to have here. So we share values. It was a shared experience for these guys in Ephesus of their salvation. It was a shared experience of God's mercy and grace in their lives. As it is for us, and collectively, the grace of God and the mercy of God and the unconditional love of God should should be in everything that we touch and everybody that we made. Thank God for His grace and His mercy for us. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about the commission that we've received and the job that we have been given to do for God as a ministry of reconciliation. That means our role, my role, your role in life is to reconcile people to God, is to point them in the way, in the way to God, is to help them get back into right relationship with God. How, what an honor that is. What a privilege that is that we have such an incredible message that we get. And I just love the way Paul kind of looks at it. What he received, he quickly realized this wasn't just about him. He, qu- he was grateful that he, in his life, but he realized it wasn't just about him. He said in verse 16 of 1 Timothy 1, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who will believe in him and receive eternal life. How wonderful that is for me and you to think that what God has done in my life, in your life, can be an example to other people. So that what a responsibility that is as well, by the way. But when, when people see what God has done for us, we understand, you know, that is such a powerful thing. What is more powerful than your testimony? What's more powerful than what God's done for you? When people see this is a living reality, this Christianity stuff is real, it's not fake. It's they're not a bunch of hypocrites. The people who actually live what they believe, they live what they speak. That's the most powerful thing that we can have. When we look at Paul, we see his conversion was an incredible thing. It was very dramatic. We think, well, I didn't become a Christian that dramatic. It wasn't that dramatic. My story is pretty pretty ordinary. No, it's not. It's not maybe not dramatic. But don't you ever think it's ordinary. It's unique to you. Your relationship with God and your encounter with God is an incredible, incredible thing. And I want to keep that attitude of gratitude for what God has done for me. Most of us here this morning were not on a road on a horse to Damascus or Accrington or somewhere like that, when we saw a blinding light in the sky. That's probably not how it happened. And if you see visions, you know, five or six times a day, you might, there might be one or two issues that you need help with. That's not what it's like for most of us, okay? I'm not decrying that we can see visions, of course, but that's not what happens for most of us. For most of us, we were influenced by somebody. Somebody prayed for us. Somebody was kind to us. Somebody loved us, even when we kind of didn't, weren't that lovable. Somebody invited us along to church. Somebody uh, encouraged us. Somebody befriended us. That's how most of us came into faith. And so, in that respect, what God has done for us and what God has done for me and what God's done for you can serve as an example to others that would be, believe and receive eternal life. I love that, that what's happened to me can be an inspiration to others. Me, with all my faults, 
can be a blessing to somebody else. Me, with my mistakes, can still be someone who points people to Jesus. What a, what, a, what a responsibility we have. But what an inspiration that we can actually be that significant in the lives of others. I just want to go back to that, that verse, verse 16. And I kind of, kind of want you to put your own name in it. And I, I, I kind of put my name in it just, just to help us see how personal. Jeff was shown mercy so that in me, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe and receive eternal life. It's that real. We are building an authentic community of faith at Life Church. Not a perfect community, not, not, a, not a flawless community, but an authentic, real, genuine community of faith where people can see that Jesus does make a difference in lives. Jesus loves us so much. He cared for us so much. He gave us so much by giving His life. Living and leading our lives can be an example to others. Musicians just going to join us and help us right now. But I want you to think about how incredible that is. What God has done for you, He's done it for you. But it's also done it so that you can be an example for others. And right now, summer 2016, I am believing for that this church is going to grow as more and more people come to faith, as more and more people are inspired by what God's done in my life and what God's done in your life. So here's my encouragement to you. It's to keep going. It's to keep believing God. It's to keep serving God. And also part of my encouragement to you, if you're not doing that, is to get back in line. I'm speaking right to you this morning with no uh, apology to say, come on, stop messing about, start living well for Jesus. Stop messing with things that you shouldn't be messing with, start living well for Jesus. Start living and leading well and be an example of authentic faith. Not a perfect example, none of us are able to do that, but by God's grace, a great example so that people can know, come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as they see our lives, as they say real Christianity in action, not just judgmental, not taking a superior uh, view on things, not trying to sort people out, not trying to you know, tell people how they should live and should be like you. And that's not what I'm saying about it. I'm talking about being an authentic example of Jesus real in our lives. Let's bow our heads and pray and ask God to help us rise to this challenge. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.